You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP family nurse practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. I wanted to remind you before the show starts that if you are considering travel nursing, you can go to their website today at trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile and start seeing opportunities right now all across the country. You can see what they pay. You can see the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile today. everybody this is Tina again with Good Nurse Bad Nurse and welcome back for another week of true crime and storytelling and I mean you just never know what in the world is going to be on this podcast but I guarantee it's going to have something to do with nursing and we will definitely put some really interesting stories in there and before we get started with the show I want to remind you guys if you're living in Georgia or Tennessee and you're in nursing school, if you're planning on going to the Student Nurse Association convention, we are planning on being there live. We're going to do a Good Nurse, Bad Nurse live episode in front of an audience at the convention in both of those states. I think the one in Tennessee is in September. The one in Georgia is in October. So if you're planning on going, please stop by and say hello. I would love to see you, see you guys and to meet some of you face to face. It would be so much fun. So I guess that's enough of that business. We can get started here. I would like to introduce my guest host for this week. She is a fan favorite for sure. She's definitely one of my favorites. Jamie with the Neurodivergent Nurse. Hey, Jamie. Hi, Tina. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm really excited to have you on because Jamie's been on before, but before she was kind of on representing her other podcast called First Do No Harm. And Jamie and I go all the way back to when I first started Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and she was kind of starting her podcast. We sort of, I think we're kind of getting started around the same time. Yep. So now she has started a new, I guess, I think toward the beginning of the year at this mm-hmm. a new yep. podcast called The Neurodivergent Nurse. So let me tell you guys something. This is a hit. When I say it's a hit, I mean it. I mean it. I, I'm not. You have to listen to this podcast and you have to follow her. You absolutely have to follow her on Instagram. So it's The Neurodivergent Nurse and it is all things ADHD and nursing. And so if you... Even you don't have to have ADHD. I don't. I've never actually been diagnosed with. I joke all the time that Jamie's diagnosed me with ADHD because I <laughs> I read these Instagram posts and I'm just like, Lord, I keep seeing myself in these posts. They're so funny. But we're gonna get to talk all about that for the good nurse because I wanted to feature Jamie and her project with the neurodivergent nurse for the good nurse story. And I want you guys to stick around because especially if you are considering going to nursing school, there's a lot of people that listen to this that are like thinking about going to nursing school. Maybe you're in nursing school and you're struggling and you feel like it's just really hard. It's hard to pass tests. It's hard to study. I think you're going to really relate to what we're going to talk about because we're going to talk about all those things that 
really, I feel like most people struggle with, but especially someone who has ADHD or any type of a learning disability. We're going to delve into that and it's going to be a really good conversation. So I guess we can get started with this bad nurse story. This one, it's another Snapped episode. I've recently discovered Snapped and apparently there's lots of nurses on there. So uh, as I've been watching that, I'm just, it's so funny. My husband, I'll be sitting there watching it and and all of a sudden it'll be like, and -and so-and-so went to nursing school and my husband will just look at each other like, well, there's another one. (laughs) (laughs) So this is about Jennifer Nibby and that's spelled N-I-B-B-E. And Jennifer was actually Gilman. Jennifer Gilman uh, was her maiden name. She was from Lake Crystal, Minnesota. I feel like, is that, is that am I crazy? Is that, is that from like the Friday the 13th movies or is that Crystal Lake? I feel like that. I don't know. I never watched any of them. I'm, I'm not like, really a good scary movie person. I feel like that's where that was from, but I don't know. Maybe not. Everybody, people from Minnesota are probably going, that's not true. <laughs> they probably hear it all the time, though. I'm sure. So it sounds like a beautiful place, Lake Crystal, Minnesota. Does that not sound like the most gorgeous place ever? Oh, yeah. I love lakes anyways. Mm. Yeah. Well, in 1994, she did get pregnant and she was 16 years old. She gave birth to a son. His name was Brady, Brady Brown. She graduated with her nursing degree in 1999 and then took a job at a surgery center. So I feel like she was just, that's amazing. I'm at 16 years old to just, you know, have a baby and then just stay focused like that. Obviously graduated from, from high school or got a GED or something like that. And then was able to go to school and get her nursing degree in that short amount of time. So kudos to her, whatever may happen in this story. And and as you guys probably have already figured out, it ain't going to be good, some of it. But she graduated, like I said, in 1999, she started working at a surgery center, but she also would take extra shifts as an EMT. So she really did sound like a go-getter going and jumping on an ambulance. And that's, I feel like that's uh, somebody who... It's kind of fearless. That's pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. In the 2000s, she bought her own farm. So definitely making progress, just doing her own thing, just raising her son, building a life for him. Then, as it happens, Jim Nibby and Jennifer kind of had an unlikely meeting. They met when Jennifer was working as an EMT and was called to the scene of an emergency where Jim happened to be. And then shortly after that, they started dating. And then in less than a year, they were engaged. So that did not take long at all. She was about six years older than him. She I was 30. what type of emergency that was. Yeah, I know. I was, That's <laughs> interesting. Like, was it a murder, an accident, or, hmm, interesting. It, it made me, I wondered the same thing because, like, for there to be that opportunity, you know, to... To chat, yeah. To chat like that, mm-hmm. Well, he was several years younger than her and was still working on an apprenticeship to become an electrician when they got married. And there was definitely a difference in the income. So she was making quite a bit more. Now, this is interesting and, and, you know, we'll we'll get into where this is going to head. But one thing that we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast is how many women are killed by men. And in particular, a significant other, a spouse, someone who wants to be romantically involved with a particular woman. And a lot of times, what a lot of the stories that we've done, the woman makes a lot more money than the man. And 
there's something psychological about that that just causes a problem like that and the man becomes abusive so I don't know I found that kind of interesting when just in thinking about her making quite a bit more money than him but it's not exactly where this one's going we're going to go in a little bit di- little different direction for this story she did start noticing that there was an additional strain on the family because he wasn't making as much money and I, I, th- I think he kind of maybe was having a hard time holding down a job. She was having to work more hours, picking up extra shifts to make up for the difference. And as just sort of the, the way the story goes, she was starting to kind of resent that, you know, and, and I guess I can understand how that would happen. Maybe you're infatuated with someone at first and everything seems great. Or maybe he, who knows, maybe he's just like, Oh, I'm going to, he's got all these big plans. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm in this class. I'm going to make all this kind of money and electricians make uh, excellent money. So there was room there for that to happen, but he was still obviously young and she was old enough to be established, you know, in her career. So, but I, I I definitely could see that being frustrating to her because she's, I'm sure making making good enough money that she bought her own farm and then she's got her son to, to provide for. That's what I was thinking too. But even picking up overtime shifts, I don't know. I just feel like that can be so frustrating because it takes time away from your kid. I don't have children, but I could only imagine that if you feel that you have to do that and that your spouse is not really pulling their weight, I mean, whatever it was, but then to also throw in that extra little factor of you're not getting to spend time with your son who's growing up right before your eyes and so quickly, uh, it, I can definitely see how that could get so frustrating and just hard mentally to weigh in on you. Yeah, and she started complaining about it to her friends and would kind of text back and forth with her friends saying, you know, that he's not pulling his weight. It's getting to be more and more difficult. I'm having to pick up all these extra shifts to pay the bills and keep our family fed. And as this is happening, I am sure he is becoming less and less attractive to her because, you know, if a man is not providing or maybe appears to be, I don't know, lazy or just unwilling to work and, and provide, then I would imagine she's not going to want to spend a lot of time, intimate time with him. And apparently he was he was getting very demanding in that area. And so she would complain about that a lot. Like, to you know, to, she, her cousin said that they would have a lot of conversations about that, about how she was just getting really frustrated about it. Him always, you know, wanting to be intimate and she's just, you know, not feeling it. Well, in June of 2010... She started talking to someone new and apparently started sharing explicit photographs with this new person. And she also started taking prescription drugs, predominantly tramadol, which is tramadol is not one that I would necessarily think of as I go to first line. I agree. You know, it's a little weird, but I know it's an opioid and it's, it's, it's a scheduled drug here in Tennessee, but I still feel like at one time it was even questionable as to whether or not it was an addictive, but I guess they decided it was, as they decided that with gabapentin too, but all I know is I have to count it when I open the dadgum drawer and I don't like it, (laughs) but I digress. Well, that same summer, Jim purchased a new shotgun for Jennifer. When I was reading this, uh, doing, looking over the research, I was like, like he literally 
had to have used her money to buy this. It's like, here, look, I bought you something. You know, she's the one kind of paying for most things, I would imagine. And then he's going and buying. I, I feel like that probably didn't sit well with her. Supposedly, was uh, he was doing this to try to remind her of things that they could share together, things that they both enjoy doing, like hunting and camping. Well, on August 30th, 2010, they went out into their backyard and Jim was showing her how to operate her new gun. Well, that night, or actually the next morning of that night, she woke up about 4.40 a.m., apparently took a handful of pills, and then woke up again about an hour later in a panic. She went into the kitchen where she had left the gun and took it back to the couple's bedroom. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, a career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable in a competitive field, offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career, and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet and I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put dot care instead of dot com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. So 
this is where everything's a little sketchy because these details came in sort of like a different rate, I guess. They didn't all, it, everything wasn't all lined out like this from the very beginning because what she actually did is she called 911 that morning around six o'clock. And she said, oh, someone broke into my house. Someone shot my husband and attacked me. And then when they got there, they start looking around seeing, you know, wow, this man is dead. So it looked a little suspicious when they got there. And eventually they end up interrogating her. And she claimed that she heard voices in her head at the point where she got back to the bedroom with the gun and that they were telling her that Jim was the devil. And so then she took a throw blanket, placed it between Jim and the gun and pulled the trigger. She then proceeded to go into the living room, staged everything and cut up her legs before she called 911. So when they get there, what they're seeing is, oh my goodness, this woman is bleeding. Her legs are cut. She's saying someone broke in the back door. Everything's sort of staged. So a couple of things knocked over. But, you know, the police are pretty savvy. <laughs> you know, they've, it's not their first radio. They've, they've been around the block a time or two. And so they start looking around and going, mm, something's not quite adding up. For one thing, the cuts on her legs, they were in almost identical places on her thighs. And they were like going horizontal across her legs. And and the police were just going, who would do that and why? What would be, and how would that happen if you're struggling, fighting with somebody that they would literally make these, you know, perfect cuts? So right there, it's just kind of, they're, they're not really buying what she's, um, what she's selling. So she said that the guy, as he was attacking her, that he was spooked by the family dog before he actually could attack her other than, you know, just the struggle that they were having. But what, this is what's really interesting, Jamie, Brady, her son. Okay. This is in 2010. He was born in 1994. So he's 16 years old. He was asleep in his room. He slept through the entire thing, was unharmed and told the police that he didn't hear anything and didn't see anything. Which I don't know much about shotguns. I'm not a, I'm not a gun person. I don't hunt much, but I'm pretty sure that shotguns are not the ones that are easily silenced, even yeah. with a blanket. So I wonder yeah. how large their house was. I mean, was it he on like the West Wing and they were on the East Wing? Because I can't figure out how you wouldn't hear a shotgun. That is so loud. No, it's re- I, I'm really having a hard time with that myself. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anything of, of all the research that I that I saw, I never saw anything where they questioned whether or not Brady. Brady apparently was not ever a suspect. They never thought that he was in on it. And for some reason, just really, truly believed that he was asleep through the whole thing. Now, I say that and then I have a 17 year old son who I could 100 percent believe he's lived through the whole thing. <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm just like, wait, if that was Levi. He 100 percent would have no idea. He would just be like walking out going, what's going on? Like. I don't know. So maybe what I have a hard time believing is that like that she would do that with her son in the other room. This person who worked so hard to build a life for her son. Desperate times, though. I mean, if all of the accusations that she was telling her husband was I meant her cousin 
was accurate, then, you know, you just get to that point. And if you think that maybe, I mean, we don't know what was going on in their house. If he was controlling towards her, then he may have been that way towards her son as well. And you know how mama bears are. Mm -hmm. They like mamas will take up with a lot of abuse towards themselves. But if it starts happening to their child, things snap sometimes. And I mean, that would correlate too of why he didn't hear anything to protect his mom or, you know. Yeah. Well, the way the evidence was staged, it pointed to the killer coming from inside the house. So the police were just going, someone inside the house did this. The two main suspects were, of course, going to be Brady and Jennifer. And Jennifer's father told investigators that the couple was in financial trouble. Looking through their finances, they found out that she was spending a significant amount, apparently on her drug habit, and that she had taken out a considerable life insurance policy on Jim in June of 2010. At that point, it's 2010. Mm -hmm. Don't you know better than to take out life insurance policies? Like, if you want a neon sign pointing at you as the killer when you're trying to stage something, that's not what you do. <laughs> I know. You take out a, a life insurance policy in June, and lo and behold, just a few months later, you your, your husband, who that you, you just took out this policy on, is murdered. Like, even if you could somehow stage it to look like someone broke in, they're going to suspect that you paid somebody to do exactly. it. Exactly. I've said it a lot on this podcast that you guys, my only advice, I'm not in the business of giving advice on this podcast, but my only advice to anybody listening is to just don't try to get away with doing anything illegal because it, is, it really isn't easy. Very smart people get caught all the time and you just can't plan this stuff. You cannot plan it perfectly. You're going to make a mistake. You're not smart enough. Just don't do it. Okay. That's my advice to you. Well, less than two weeks after the murder on September the 10th, police arrested her outside of her work. They booked her for second degree murder. The next day, she admitted to her drug problem and said that she was taking up to 180 pills a week. Holy moly. Mm -hmm. Now, now I did say that it doesn't seem like Ultram or Tram at all is something that would be people was something people would take, I guess, to get high. But I guess if you were taking that much of it, I don't know. You know, I don't know how that works. I feel like I would be dead, but I don't know. People figure out that these things have different effects on them. You know, I guess these drugs have different effects on people. And then they just have to take more and they have to take more and they have to take more because they build up this tolerance. Tolerance to it. Yeah. Well, she confessed to the murder. And so the police asked a grand jury to indict her on first degree murder charges. Her attorney asked for a mental competency examination to take place first to see if she was fit to stand trial. They claimed that she had no memory of confessing due to her drug addiction. Okay. <laughs> uh, ultimately, she was found competent to stand trial. Thank you for common sense. They did, however, note that she displayed signs of PTSD. So not surprised there at all. She began therapy which allegedly uncovered repressed memories of abuse. She claimed that Jim would choke her until she blacked out and then rape her and that this had been happening weekly for some time. So what I want to say bef before we kind of get into the rest of this is I don't like victim shaming, whether it's a man or woman or, you know, and we're kind of in a little bit of a different 
story than, you know, what we normally do. But the thing is, he's not here to defend himself. And she didn't make any of those accusations. Even when she was complaining about things that he would do, you would think that if there was anything remotely close to that, you know, she's complaining about him to her cousin and just saying, you know, he's just, he's doing this and doing that. It seems a little, I'll just say it seems a little convenient that after she murders him and tries to get, tries to get a lot, you know, life insurance from him, that all of a sudden she has these, you know, the repressed memories come out. But then she also has, she was hearing voices saying that he was Satan. I mean, it does seem constructed Mm -hmm. in a sense, because does she have a mental health history? I mean, mm-hmm. if you're hearing voices, that would likely mean that you have some type of schizophrenia or those things don't go unnoticed until you're in your 30s or yeah. however old she is by this time. I don't think, I mean, if you would have been hearing voices as a child or young adult, right? Well, exactly. So I think that it's possible also traumatic events can induce that, you know, can cause mm-hmm. those things to kind of come out. If she was, she, she clearly had a drug problem that can also cause those things to that might be lying dormant to then come out as well. Jim's autopsy results indicated that he was HIV positive. However, he hadn't tested positive in June, just months before his death. I wonder why he was tested. I was wondering the same thing. I don't know the last time I was tested for HIV. I mean, and he's an electrician, so it's not... Wouldn't have anything to do with his job either. Yeah, it's a little, yeah. The prosecution claimed that it's common for deceased people to have false positive tests. So whether or not that's true, I don't know. I'm not sure what it really matters other than somehow causing her to, you know, want to get rid of him because this is interfering or being mad at him if he was and didn't tell her i it's hard for me to know why that would matter because especially if he did test negative in june it really would be irrelevant because what difference would it make at that point i mean unless they thought she somehow was trying to inject him with with blood that was uh, tainted with hiv i've done stories on that mm-hmm. <laughs> on this this podcast that certainly has happened uh, i don't know what i don't know where they were going with that Yeah, unless he found out, unless one, he was, it's not for them, but why would you get tested? Did he find out she was cheating or did she suspect that he was cheating? Because, you know, a lot of times people who are unfaithful when they're wanting, one of the signs is they accuse their partner, their spouse, whomever of actually being the unfaithful person. So I wonder if he took an HIV test and like went through a whole gamut of STDs to prove that he had not been like if she just kept pushing that. I don't know. Maybe I'm still stuck on that. Like, what was the causation of it? I know it seems so odd. It seems odd that he would have been tested. I'm not sure. It, dev- it doesn't really say. So without any proof of prior assault or abuse, prosecutors were confident that they could win the case. And apparently the only people who actually believed her story were her attorneys. No one else was buying any of this. So instead of taking the gamble, she decided she would accept a deal. She pled guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to 25 years with the possibility of supervised release after 15 years. 25 years 
but then being released after 15 years, that to me doesn't sound like a long time. If this all happened to me, the way it appears that it happened, I'm just using my own common sense and, and knowing what I know about the story, knowing everything that her, because I did, <laughs> I watched the snap show. Okay. I saw her, her, her family talking about it. I saw her son talking about it. So I honestly don't think any of her family were, they weren't buying it either. So if everything is what it appears to be, it does seem as though she regretted marrying him. He didn't have a job. They were living above their means. She was having to work extra. She was feeling all of the pressure and wanted to get out of the situation. Maybe she was afraid he was going to take half of her farm. I mean, she bought that before they were married, but now that they're married, was she worried? Who knows what the laws are in Minnesota? Was she worried that he was going to get half of her farm or was she going to lose it all together? And she just wanted out of that situation. And this was her answer to it. And with all of the drugs that she was taking, this is her half brained, literally half brained, you know, way solution to literally take the life of this person in order to get to get out of the situation instead of just saying, you know what, I mean, this was a mistake. I we're gonna have to end it and get out of it that way. It rather than go through that, she would rather take a life as to me, what happened because she, it was a deliberate thing to go get a life insurance and a policy on him. I feel like that had to have been premeditated. I am divorced and I will say divorce is very, very hard. It's a tough thing to go through. It's terrible, especially if you have a family who looks at you like you are a great person that you are, right? And so you don't want to go through the shame of ending a marriage. You don't want to go through the shame of having that. But I can't, I cannot wrap my head around killing someone would be better than going through the process of the financial hardship, the mental hardship, unless she was afraid that he would hurt her through the divorce. You know, like if she left, would she be worried about him being abusive or walking through restraining orders? But I just don't know why that's always the option that so many people go with instead of legal proceedings. It sucks, but so does killing someone. Right. And not only are you taking their life, you're wrecking so many people's lives. Jim's family feels that she's gotten away with his murder. There's a post from Facebook, from his Facebook page that says, greetings, curious strangers. I can always tell by the numbers, the number of new page likes and page views that the episode just re-aired. It's a painful reminder. My only hope is that you were able to see through her disgusting lies and that the complete bull her camp tried outlining. Please like if you do, if you agree. She is an unremorseful, narcissistic, sociopathic monster that got away with murder. She will be free to live her best life in seven years for premeditated murder. Let that soak in. After watching, I hope that you will take a minute to pray for Jim's family and friends that have been forever changed by her disgusting lies and diabolical actions. Because there was no real justice in this sentencing, we will have to patiently wait for karma. I wanted to read that just because I recognize the fact that we do these stories week in and week out on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, that we t- we're talking a lot of times about family members. We're talking about people who passed away and even the people who committed the crime have family members. And I want to be always be respectful of those people and respectful of the victims because I know this stirs up. There are a lot of people that, that listen to this podcast and I would imagine out of the 
you know, 10,000 people that are going to end up listening to this. Some of them are probably going to go Googling and looking at Facebook and that sort of thing. And it, I'm sure, will somehow cause a little bit of a ripple. And I would hope that, you know, people be respectful. I'm trying to be respectful of it. I, I realize, you know, I'm talking about somebody's son, someone's brother, you know. So that's why I wanted to read that. I don't always have the opportunity to do that. Sometimes there just isn't information out there. And but any chance that I have, they did uh, put uh, in place a, an award at the local high school. So every year they give an award. It's the Outstanding Character Award, and it's given out in his name. Hmm. Yeah, there was a bill signed into law, and I'm going to just be 100% honest, honest with you. I'm not smart enough to understand what it says. I was I was trying to read it and I was just like I don't sure I really get it but there in 2013 there was a bill called the James Nibby bill uh, signed into law and it's relating to probate but it's it's a little confusing to me like I, I don't really it has something to do with rights and procedures of crime victims and pertains to the property personal property of homicide victims to preserve rights of decedents, heirs, and beneficiaries. So I don't know what it is, but I, I did wanted to make a, a mention of that. I'm sure lawyers probably understand it. And there'll be someone I know that will email me about this and will explain it because you guys are awesome that way. <laughs> people are so, so cool. I'll, I'll say something so ignorant like that. And people will be like, hey, just letting you know, this is the way that works. And I'll be <laughs> like, well, now I know. Thank you. Uh, every now and then I'll get somebody to say, well, you know what? You really should do your research before you start talking about something. <laughs> oh, like, that's fun. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Mm, my hand's a little red from that slap. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes to beat all stethoscopes the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes this stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com 
and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Well, I guess we can get into our good nurse story. I'm excited about this. I feel like this is going to be so much fun to get to to talk about this. I have been really enjoying the Instagram posts. They're so much fun. And this is the good neurodivergent nurse, Jamie. Jamie, how do you say your last name? Frigio. Frigio. I love yeah. that. <laughs> I should. I've been married now for... I think since 2017 and it's now 2021 and I still have not changed my name. I'll get around to it sometime, but it's just one of those things that I put off like a lot of other ADHD people do. It's just, (laughs) it it seems uh, so hard to go through the process because I'm like, I don't know where my marriage certificate or license is or whatever they call that. And then I need to order a birth certificate and what a pain. But one day it's going to change to Henderson. I just don't know what day that'll be. (laughs) (laughs) How funny. Well, that kind of gets us into our topic. Before we get to talking about the neurodivergent nurse and all things ADHD, tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, how long you've been a nurse, what kind of nursing have you done, what kind of nursing you're doing now that our listeners like to hear all that stuff. Mm, Sure. And first of all, thank you so much. I am honored that I'm your good nurse. When you sent me that and you're like, our goodness episode is going to be you. I, my heart just melted. So I'm really honored and I appreciate it. But yeah, I'm Jamie. I am a registered nurse. I graduated nursing school in 2011 from an associate's degree program in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. And I started out, there was a hiring freeze. So I worked for a pulmonologist. Guys, listen to this. So I ended up getting a job working for a pulmonologist in two of his offices, and I would round with him in the ICU making $13 an hour as an RN in 2011. Okay, I just wanted to throw that out there. (laughs) (laughs) But I really wanted to do ICU. I found a job in uh, Winchester, Tennessee. Tina, do you know where Winchester is? I do not. It's over by uh, Sewanee. Do you know where Sewanee is? The University of the South? Chattanooga, like-ish? It's not too far from there. But so one, it makes me think Chattanooga for some reason. It's tiny and they it's a beautiful college up there. But anyway, I ended up getting a job in October working for like a general ICU at this little tiny hospital. Uh, so I worked seven days a week because I was also going through a divorce around that time too, kind of like our girl that we just talked about. Yeah. And then in 2012, I switched to narrow ICU and that became my love, my passion. And I started traveling around the country working in neuro ICU. And now, from two years ago, I started doing rapid response nursing. Best job I've ever had. Never knew that I could love a job or a role as a nurse more than neuro ICU. But rapid response is just, it is so incredible. I get these hits of dopamine every time the phone rings. I never know what <laughs> I'm going into. It's it's so cool. It sounds like a really cool job. It sounds like a stressful job (laughs) it can be but (laughs) it's a great it's a great hospital with wonderful nurses so that's good as a rapid response nurse is it something that you can sort of get into some sort of a routine where you can kind of not that you know what to expect every time 
but you sort of know what you're going to like. Okay, this one, I'll preface it by saying this. We have, there's certain procedures where when I'm working in CVICU that if you're getting that patient, not everybody's different, but there's a lot of similarities like to say an open heart patient when they come back, if it's a valve or, you know, a cabbage, whatever it is, there's a lot of, a lot of the things that you do are sort of the same. And so you almost can get into a groove, even though it's a really complicated patient and lots of things going on, you can learn all of those things. Is being a rapid response nurse sort of like that, where you feel like it's super hard and (laughs) very intense, but you can sort of get to know what kind of get used to what you're going to see? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if I show up, let's say, and someone's having chest pain, so there's an algorithm that opens in my head, right? So First of all, is the patient stable? You know, we need to check blood pressure. Let's go ahead and get an EKG. Let's put in for some stat troponins. Oh, let me let me touch this patient's chest. They're hurting more whenever I touch their chest. It's likely to be musculoskeletal, not a heart attack, which, of course, in all areas of nursing, there's never like a cookie cutter. But there are boxes that you just get used to checking mentally to help you anticipate what's going to come next or to rule out things. And In my hospital, when you call a rapid response, doctors don't show up. They show up to a code blue. So you have to go through all of these issues. And then you get in touch with the hospitalist or whomever. And you're like, hey, this is what I think. And what's really cool, because people with ADHD, we we have a lot of, we're very sensitive to rejection. And we always... We don't know that we're good at what we do. We don't always feel appreciated, but we really need that. And it sounds selfish and it sounds very needy, but it's cool because in this role, people appreciate you so much. They're so glad when you come there. The doctors too, if you call the doctor, they're going to answer the phone. If they didn't answer right away, they apologize when they find out that it's the critical response team that tried to call them. But yeah, so you go through this check mark and try to figure these things out. And then you get in touch with whomever and try to problem solve from there. Well, I think it's, it's a fascinating job. And I, and I know that a lot of especially the nursing students who are still, you know, it, it's sort of still mis- mysterious when you're in nursing school, what all is involved with nursing and all the different types of things you can do. So I think it's really cool just to have that little glimpse into a, a very specialized type of nursing. That sounds like a lot of actually a lot of fun and interesting so and challenging. Much fun. Yeah. And it also... I mean, we like to say that we're 911 inside the hospital, but you know, with working ICU, it's very different than working, like, say, in the emergency department. A lot of people who work as emergency room nurses, they get very jaded and rightfully so. It's a very hard job. You know, they see so much pain. They see people being dishonest. They see people who are always angry because they're not getting to them fast enough. So it's kind of like being an emergency room nurse, but you get the good parts of it. You know, they're already admitted. They're not frustrated. They're not anxious because you're not doing all the things that they say. And it's also cool because while I love taking care of this patient, if the family member is unpleasant, I'm only around them for an hour, maybe 15 minutes, not an entire shift. If a doctor is being a real jerk that day, because they do, they have bad days too, right? They're not my doctor all day. 
I don't have to worry about walking on eggshells. So it's it's super cool because you get the wonderful parts of it, but then when the bad parts come for like a conflict of personalities, it's not a 12 or 13 hour time frame that you're really struggling to maintain happiness with everyone, you know. I think that's probably one of my favorite parts of it, to be honest. It sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, it makes me want to go see, look up, a jo- see if there are any job openings. for. It's a good we time. Don't have, I know. We don't have that I know of. Well, we don't um, at either of the hospitals that I'm working at. A rapid response team, per se. The, the rapid response is going to come from the ICU nurses, mm-hmm. usually the team leaders, and then other people like educators will come. Just different people will show up for that for that depending on what day of the week it is too like the house supervisor if it's on a weekend yeah so i don't know it's i I feel like the a rapid response team is a something that every hospital should have i agree i mean there's only two of us on on a good day minimum one but i mean it's hard if you're in a 550 bed hospital and there's only you nurses call and they say hey something's wrong with my patient. I just don't know what. Can you can you come up and just look at them? And of course, like we're happy to do that and go through the charts. And there's been times where, for example, I had a nurse who called me and she said, hey, the surgeon came by and saw this patient. He's like having these shakes in his upper extremities. He had this very long procedure. They don't think that it's a seizure, but they just kind of blew me off. I'm really concerned. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll be right there. So I go up and I do my assessment. He's able to talk to me during the shaking. So he's not likely to be having a seizure. I'm checking his muscle tone. And I go through his chart and I was like, hey, um, so did the surgeon mention how low his calcium is? And she was like, no, and I didn't notice. I'm so sorry. I'm like, well, you have five other patients. I don't expect <laughs> you, you know, that I don't expect you to notice all these things. And so then, you know, they put in and he gets his calcium replaced and he got better. So, I mean, it's just so much fun if you love like problem solving and putting pieces of a puzzle together. It's a great time when we have the time to be able to sit down and go through things that doctors are too busy to look at because they're slammed. The nurses are slammed. We're just a good right hand to a lot of people and patients. And I would imagine it's probably an excellent way to educate nurses, too, because now that nurse, the next time she has a, a patient that's having much muscle twitches or complaining like, oh, my, my hand is cramping, my arm, you know, why, why am I cramping? Oh, just like if you get a patient that has all of a sudden their heart rate's going up or they're, they're having peak T waves or having weird arrhythmia issues. And you're just like, what well, was their potassium? You know, there's just mm-hmm. certain things that your brain just automatically goes to. But it doesn't at first, you know, you have to learn those. You, th- you learn those things because at some point you're just like, I don't understand their hearts having all this weird stuff. And then a doctor or um, a rapid response nurse or an experienced nurse or someone says, what's their potassium? And then you feel like an idiot because you don't, you're like, I don't know. I didn't look at it, you know? Yeah, realistically, you don't know what you don't know. And we, we forget that in the world of nursing that we all started at the same place. None of us, none of us became a nurse and started our job knowing everything there is about nursing. None of us do even now. And so I... I love the rapid response team because we can gently teach things too, right? And we love being that person because they it's a safe space for new nurses or older nurses, whatever, that they can call and ask questions and they don't feel silly. They don't feel like they're stupid because they don't know this answer. Like 
That's what this job and that is what healthcare should be all about, especially nursing. And and it's not anymore. And it's harmful. It's very harmful and it's toxic a lot of times. So I think that it's it's a great team to put together so that people feel safe, nurses feel safe, and then the patients are well taken care of because of that. I love it. I it's literally I cannot imagine a better situation that's so, such a safe situation for the patients and just improving their outcomes and making better nurses doing that because mm-hmm. you're all strengthening each other. So tell our listeners all about the, the neurodivergent nurse. What, what is the neurodivergent nurse? What does that even mean? What, oh. tell, tell us all about that. Well, I got diagnosed with ADHD in December of last year, and I I had no idea that I had ADHD, but I had a friend who gently asked me that I talk to often, and she she said, you keep talking about these things, and I'm just wondering, has anyone ever evaluated you to see if you have ADHD? I had no idea about that. I always thought that it happened to young boys, and those are the ones who got diagnosed because they were just always running around and they were hyperactive. I had no idea what it looked like for females or women or adults. And so as I started looking into it more, I was like, actually, so much of it does sound like me. And I made an appointment in North Carolina is where I live for the like a brain specialist. So I met with a psychiatrist, went through all of that. Turns out I most definitely have ADHD with uh, social anxiety, high social anxiety. And then I was like, man, if I didn't know this, there's probably a lot of people who don't. And there's so much that I don't know. And I just thought that I would create a podcast and an Instagram account to take people along the journey of the mistakes or the the neat things that I'm learning along the way so that maybe they'll be like, wait a minute, maybe I could try this and it would make my life a little bit easier too. So that's how that all came about. Wow. That's, that's really fascinating. And I love that my listeners are getting to hear this because they just heard what a successful, intelligent, sharp nurse you are working at a very high level as a nurse and also are hearing that you have ADHD. And so I love that because I want people listening to this to know that it doesn't matter in terms of what you can do with your life. All that matters is that you learn how to compensate for that, you know, learn where your inadequacies are, how to use it to as a superpower, because it really can be a, a superpower, right? I mean, and I was going to ask you if you knew you had ADHD before you went to nursing school and you just answered that question. But what did you struggle through nursing school? Like, did this... Ob- Tina. Had, yeah. <laughs> Tina. Struggling is a very nice way to put it. I feel like if you wanted to minimize it, you would say that I struggled. It was so darn hard for me. And I used to think that it was because I I was smart in high school. At least I thought I was smart. I had to work maybe two and three times hard as everyone else to make good grades, but I made really good grades. But, and it was just, it was also weird because I always go into anything. I'm like, man, I'm, I can conquer this. I can be very accomplished. Nothing really scares me when it comes to education. So going into nursing school, I was like, yeah, I can do that. I'm smart enough to do that, even though I read about all the struggles. And when I started, there was so much I didn't know. I had 
a very difficult time grasping concepts. Things did not stick in my brain. I couldn't focus during the lectures. And I thought it was just me. I thought that I just wasn't as smart as what I had been told all my life that I was, right? That I even withdrew my second semester of nursing school. And my instructor told me, we can't teach you to critically think. If you don't have it, you don't have it. That's not on us. So I took a year off. I went back to nursing school because the way to make sure that I do anything is to tell me I can't. So definitely. And it even happened at that job in Tennessee that I told you. They, The manager in ICU, I had to do three months on the floor first, and then I got to move to ICU. And she said, you would make a great med surge nurse. You don't have what it takes to make an ICU nurse. So here I am in nursing school being told, I'm not, I can't think right. I'm not smart enough to think the way that a nurse needs to think. And then pretty much my first job I was told I'm not smart enough to be an ICU nurse either. And I'm hearing all of these things that's telling me that I don't have what it takes to do what my heart desires. And I mean, it backed it up. I did struggle. I struggled so much. But if I would have listened to them, I would never be the successful person that I am today. And I would never be that person to tell new nurses, if you know that this is what you desire, you can do it. You absolutely can do it. You may have to work harder. We may have to find little ways that's going to stick with you that 99% of nurses don't really need. But you may need it. But ultimately, you can do it. Well, it sounds like I love this because uh, there has to be people out there listening. to. There's so many nursing students that listen to this, this podcast. I know you're out there listening to this and going, oh, I'm struggling. There's probably people listening to this, listening to this. It's breaking my heart to think about that are probably thinking they're not going to make it through nursing school that are probably thinking that they need to drop out or take a break or they're questioning it. And people are telling them this is not for you. You can't handle this. You don't think right. Like you said, well, I just heard someone who is the absolute bomb at critical thinking because I heard you saying the things that you do when you go as a a rapid response nurse and you go and immediately someone who is complaining of chest pain and you start asking them, that's literally what the definition of critical thinking is. And someone who is having the, the muscle twitches and thinking about the calcium, that's what critical thinking is. So if you guys are listening to this and you're having these questions and people are saying things like this to you, maybe that's something you should go get checked out. Maybe you should consider, but do I need to go to my doctor and talk to them about the possibility of having some sort of ADHD? There are other things out there that it could be too. Maybe you should be evaluated for that. Or maybe there's just a learning. Some Everybody learns differently. So it might not even be ADHD or anything like that. Maybe your learning style is very different from what your school is offering and you have to figure out what works for you. You can't, I tell my children this all the time, you can't expect the world to bend to you. You can't, especially our ridiculous public school system that hasn't changed in over a hundred years. You, they're not going to bend to you. They're not going to change for you. You have to learn how to do what works for you. And so that's, that's all you can do. And so I, I love that if you guys are listening to this and um, you have any questions about ADHD, for one thing, I would definitely say follow Jamie at the Neurodivergent Nurse on Instagram, listen to her podcast, but also can they read, is there somewhere they can reach you to ask questions? Sure. I have an email account and I 
really try very hard and I have a 100% success rate to replying to everyone who has messaged me on Instagram or you can email me at the neurodivergent nurse at gmail.com and I'm happy to be here for you too. So I also believe in you and if you are neurodivergent living in a neurotypical world, just like you said, Tina, the systems that are put in place are for what benefits the most amount of people, right? And that's that's just the way that it is. And neurodivergent individuals, we are not the most amount of people. We're a much smaller amount of people. And we have to find ways to be able to exist, to succeed, and to be amazing in this world that was not really structured for us. I'm happy to help out any way that I can to help you figure what are the key things that, you know, that could benefit you the most, that could make your life a little bit easier on a day-to-day, whether it's school, whether it's home, whether it's work. Just reach out. I'm here for you. Well, you guys know that you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com and you can email me at Tina at goodnursebadnurse and I'm on Instagram at goodnursebadnurse also. We're on Twitter and Facebook very minimally at GNBN Podcast. In fact, most of the posts I think on Facebook come from, from come from Instagram, I'm pretty sure how that's how that works. But I love hearing from you guys. I love getting your emails and messages on social media whenever you send me your stories and ask questions and make comments, even when they're negative. I don't care. I can be corrected. I'm not that sensitive. I've my, thinness, my skin has thickened up a lot over the past three years. So uh, I don't take it near as personally as I used to. I guess that wraps up another episode, but before we go, I want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.